0: Coming to you from Orlando, Florida, Orlando, Florida, and streaming around the world, around the world, you're now tuned in to the sales samurai podcast, the only B2B sales podcast providing unfiltered, unapologetic views and tactics directly from the sales trenches. Here's your host, Sam Capra.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Sales Samurai. Thanks for listening. Before we begin, do us a favor, take a moment to subscribe and download. On today's show, we're going to be discussing 5 reasons salespeople miss quota. And I have an amazing guest for you guys today, uh, Ralph Barzi, Advisor and VP of Sales for Trey.io. Ralph, how are you, man? Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Sam. I'm great. How are you? Living the dream. You know, 2022, it's, uh. depends on how you look at it. It's kind of gotten a rough start to some degree, but all's great in my world.
0: Yeah, same here. I'm, I'm always working on my attitude of gratitude. So I'm just, uh, I'm grateful for even the most minor things.
1: <laughs> I love it, man. And there's a lot to be grateful for, right? I mean, obviously there's a tremendous amount to be grateful for. So you got to look at the bright side of things. Amen, brother. Hey, so, hey, I know... Just from an audience standpoint, I know I've gotten to know you on LinkedIn and we've kind of crossed some paths. We were trying to figure out where we crossed the paths. I think we've landed on something around Italian heritage. That's where we've landed. We haven't quite pinned it down, but we're close. Yep, sounds right. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself.
0: Sure. Hello, everybody. I'm Ralph Barcy. Really excited to be here. Yeah, I oversee the uh, Global Inside Sales Organization at Trey in San Francisco. We are in uh, a general automation platform, and we help a lot of companies integrate all the components of their tech stack and drive automated workflows from them. This is, I don't know, year 28, 29 of my career. I used to have a full head of hair. I now have no hair. (laughs) Most of my career was spent actually as an individual contributor. I was an account executive for a lot of different companies in a lot of different industries. But of late, over the last decade or so I've really uh, focused on building and leading teams, specifically sales development teams, those who are, you know, at the top of the funnel typically between marketing and sales responsible for lead qualification and lead generation. And I do a lot of writing and speaking on the side just sharing all the observations and insights from my experience in hopes that it'll help someone and be useful.
1: That's awesome man. Yeah, you know it's it's funny I think this profession, I'm sure there's a lot of professions out there that are similar, but I'm not as aware of them. This is obviously what I live and breathe. This is a profession that you just constantly have to begin. Like, it just changes so much. There's so many things going on from technology, techniques, how you interact, social selling, all these different things that if you're not constantly improving, you're constantly falling behind, right, Ralph? Is, am I fair to say that?
0: Yeah, no question. I couldn't agree with you more, Sam. You know, you've know, you got to have your finger on the pulse of the proliferation of apps that are out there, all the just evolutions of SaaS startups, etc. And you got to keep in mind the, the big family tree as well, because people go from one company to the next to the next. And they circle back and boom, there you are sitting right in front of them 10 years later. It's
1: a real trip. Yeah, without a doubt. I always love origin stories. How did you get started in sales? What's your origin story around sales?
0: I was a newspaper boy. I grew up in Pacifica, California, right on the coast uh, in Northern California. And I used to ride my Diamondback BMX bike (laughs) all through the neighborhood, throwing papers onto people's porches. And that's where I got it started because I had to collect the checks as well at the end of every month. So that meant literally walking onto the porch, knocking on the door and confronting your customers. And you learn your chops, how to polish those chops very quickly doing that.
1: That's awesome, man. What was your very first professional, whatever you want to call B two B or yeah. kind of professional job? I mean, sales job, if you don't mind.
0: Yeah, right out of college, I started as an intern, a paid intern at UPS, and that morphed into a really incredible uh, account executive role for UPS, where I was for close to six years. Uh, what I loved about it was going in through the back door, talking with all the. Leaders who were running the the shipping docks and talk to them about their supply chain challenges and I had to wear a full suit, carry the briefcase the whole nine yards.
1: That brings back a lot. I remember the power ties. I used to work for the uniform industry and I was like, I'm walking into a a mechanic shop with a blue jacket, a red tie, and a white shirt. Like I look like the IRS walking in the door.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. I was lucky enough to have a colleague at UPS who worked in Central California. And I went down to do some sales calls with him. And he was like, dude, lose the tie. I mean, I understand you're here to represent, but you know, you've got to meet your people where they are and, and they don't wear ties. So if you want to build rapport and credibility, lose the tie as fast as possible.
1: Yeah. You know, th- those are the things that you only learn from fellow people, like people in the trenches with you, right? Those little insights that when you get in the car, yeah, take off the jacket, loosen the tie, And head on your way when no one sees you, but that's what you have to do from just the dynamic of your environment. So that's funny. You've been doing this a long time. I think you said you've been doing it for now 26 years. So I always ask this question, like in your opinion, from a sales perspective, like what's been the biggest change in sales from the best, from it's really gone the right way to, hey, in your opinion, what's actually gone the wrong way?
0: I have found, let's see, here's what's not changed, Sam. People buy from people. And it's really, really important that people selling to people build rapport and credibility pretty quickly by not thinking about themselves, the sellers. Uh, It's really
1: important. That's not changed, right, Ralph? That's a consistent... It's always been that way in sales, right?
0: Not at all. That has not changed. That's been a constant. What has changed is just everybody's access to information. You know, It's at everyone's fingertips. As you know, we have this deluge of information coming across the wire at all times. I can learn a lot about you, your podcast, your background, your company, before you even show up to my office or meet me on, a, on an online call. And uh, I think that's a big, big difference today than when I was starting
1: out. Without a doubt. So you know, how I've heard, I want to get your thoughts on it because you know, it always revolves around the similar answer. And I'm hearing this as a trend. You know, technology, and I think this was that diluge of information you were talking about. Right? There's just so much access. But I've also heard along that access is there's obviously the access of technology where some reps good make them a lot better from a bad side it makes a lazy rep a little bit lazier because I think you can attest to this I mean I remember back in my days you had to go to the library if you want to do a research on some company like it took some work to do some research that it was a challenge right now it's just at this keystroke of a YouTube video or a Google search or a LinkedIn search right. So I like think those are the. That's kind of what I heard. Do you agree about the automation kind of being a, a double-edged sword?
0: Totally, yeah, I, I totally agree with it. And because people, buyers, that is, have access to so much information, content, etc., to learn from, that's where you, the seller, really come in. That's where you need to differentiate yourself as a trusted advisor. That's where you've done your due diligence and your homework on them and on their industry, and on the big challenges that personas like them are facing. So you can come in and say, Look, you know all this information you're reading and all this content that's uh, in your face? Here's what you need to think about first, second, third. And here's why. Here's what we've been finding. Here's what I want to talk to you about today. And I want to get your take on it because I'm seeing a lot of lift from people who are going this route in other like companies. And now you're different from all the other sellers who are like, You know, hey, so what did you think, Sam? You read it all. Like, tell me what you think. Right. Versus uh, really taking initiative and being proactive as a seller.
1: I think to your point, you know, it used to be there was not enough information. They had to rely on a salesperson to educate them. Now it's almost the opposite, where there's so much information, but they still need a salesperson to help them sift through it and understand it and articulate it and basically be a sounding board to understand how do we navigate this to make the best buying decision we possibly can. As a good salesperson, that's what you should be focused on doing.
0: Yeah, without question. And it, you know, the onus now is on the salespeople to again, as we talked about, keep your finger on the pulse of all that's going on. So be on point with where your competitors are today. Be on point with where your customers' competitors are today. So that you can really help sew together a narrative when you do meet with your
1: prospects and customers. That's fantastic. Hey so it's a good segue into kind of what we discuss. Because obviously, as a salesperson, it's probably one of the only positions I've ever seen that is 100% performance-based. I mean, everything depends on you performing at a high level, right? You're not staying at a company very long if you're not performing, not hitting quota. So we were going to talk about five reasons salespeople miss quota, right? So I want to kind of dig into this because obviously, it's near and dear to my heart. I know it probably is as well on your side, leading salespeople and sales organizations Quota is what we're all benchmarked against, either as leaders from a board and the CEO or the sales reps from their leader, from a VP of sales, kind of helping them understand that and articulate that. So let's walk through it because there was a few things as we were discussing this and we were bouncing back some ideas. Number one jumped out at me. We're going to read the list. We're going to go through it. And I want you to help me, Ralph, because there's five things that you put. We'll read through it. Then we're going to tackle them one by one. Number one was obscurity. This was the one I really loved. Then lack of focus, inactivity, no conversation flow, and failure to keep improving, which I love that one, by the way. So let's go back to the top, obscurity. Help me understand that. Give me some context around that.
0: Yeah, sure. So this whole concept of the five barriers came to mind back in 2015 when I just kept reading data and seeing it firsthand uh, that just too many reps weren't hitting quota. Over and over again, and it really uh, boiled down to these to these five barriers, all of which, by the way, Sam are self imposed. The good news is, is you can overcome all five of these barriers if you just start leaning into it. So the first obscurity just comes down to so many sales reps, especially uh, sales development reps, who are initiating a lot of the first conversations with prospects that nobody knows who they are. Literally, nobody knows who they are. So an email might come in from a seller. SDR or or an account executive. And the buyer has no clue. They might know who the company is, but they don't know who the person is. So obscurity is a really big barrier where you need to start getting known. I mean, what's most important, what I've seen the best salespeople do is they attract opportunities to them. They don't pursue opportunities and chase them down. And you attract opportunities by becoming attractive in the marketplace. You do that by adding value to the marketplace. The best channel to do that that both you and I know about is LinkedIn. If you send a halfway decent email or leave a great voicemail for a potential buyer and they're kind of interested and they wanna look you up, the first thing that's likely gonna come up when they Google search you is your LinkedIn profile. So give them something to learn about when they arrive there. You should have a great profile picture that's professionally taken. I suggest just smile in the picture, you know, and be a warm spirit in that profile picture. Fill out the stuff that your profile allows you to fill out. Your header, the endorsements that you might have received, accolades or things that you've accomplished, how you've moved things from X to Y in a given time frame throughout your career. Don't just repeat your resume. Don't just tell people what the tasks and responsibilities were of your roles. Actually show people how you move the needle, not only for the companies you've represented, but for the customers that you've served. And that's how you start to build your brand in the marketplace. That's just one major channel, as we all know, that everybody could probably double down on.
1: Without a doubt. It's funny that as you're talking about that, I think 100% and some people will call it social selling, they'll call it personal branding, they'll call it thought leadership, whatever you want to call it or bucket it as. I still am surprised at how many people, I'm not saying do it completely because right, I think there's elements of LinkedIn that I, I still am not doing to the end that I should be doing it. But to not even take it to, I still see people that don't have a header or don't have an about me and kind of what I do, the you know basically the value prop, if you will. And it is a glorified resume. It's uninteresting. There's nothing of engagement around it, but that's how they approach the market, right? And that's a very... That's kind of the first impression, especially in today's remote environment. That is, that's your first impression is that platform, if you will, right, Ralph? It is. And now
0: as a buyer or a prospect, if I'm trying to learn about you and it's really, really an uphill climb for me to figure some things out about who you are, now you've got to really make an extra effort when we do talk. Granted, if if I'm even going to give you a call or write back to you, and create a two-way street of conversation. Now you've got to really build up who you are and why I should listen to you even more. And you don't have to do that if you've been avoiding obscurity this whole time. Perhaps you're also a contributor to a blog, or maybe you presented at a conference or on a webinar or something, and there's just something I can see to learn more about you and and your
1: product offering. Yeah, that's fantastic. Somebody gave me an idea, and I can't remember it was in a book. Uh, I thought it was a great idea. I'm still in the process of implementing it. But you know, I always thought it was a good idea when you sell an account, why not reach out to that champion, that buyer, and ask for a recommendation on LinkedIn? It's basically saying, hey, I endorse this person. Look what they've done for me. It's just connecting those dots. It's a way of separating yourself from the pack. Look, I got this brand, this brand that have given me recommendations. Yeah, And it's from someone that will probably give it to you because they just did business with you and they're more than happy to say why they did business with you. And, but that's an easy gap, right? It, well, I think it is. I mean, two other
0: ways you can address that is, you can ask them, who else, like you in your network or in your industry, could use this offering? Who else do I not know that you might be able to broker an introduction for me to? Another thing you can do as a, a great top-notch sales rep is reach back out to that customer in three months and say, Hey, it's Ralph how are things going? Is, has it been a bumpy road? Has it been smooth? Tell me the feedback that I need to know so I can really close the loop well on this end and make sure that we're serving you at world-class levels. I mean, so many salespeople just neglect to do the, the basic stuff like that.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. So I want to hop into number two. So I think obscurity is, is well on point. I think in today's day and age, there is so much information, to your point earlier, in a diluge that you need to separate yourself from the pack and brand awareness, personal branding, whatever you want to call it, is. I think it's all a part of, it's just micro steps, right? Every little advantage you can get, that's what separates yourself from the pack. And that's what you should be focused on. Lack of focus, because I actually find this one to be an intriguing one. I don't think enough emphasis is put on, but kind of help us understand when you say lack of focus, how does that impact salespeople missing quota?
0: Oh, wow. Well, the old adage is, If you chase two rabbits, they both get away. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about all that information that's coming across the wire using our mobile devices, and we've got Slack or Teams popping off every five seconds, etc, etc. It is very, very difficult to focus. And it's okay that there's a lot of people out there that are working on a lot of different things, spinning a lot of plates is what I call it. But... At the end of the day, if you're really trying to serve your mission of closing deals, making your quota and moving the needle as a sales rep, you have to really boil things down to one thing. You have got to decide what it is you're not going to focus on and why. So sometimes you need that urgency and importance quadrant, You know where you're like, you have to discern quickly, is this urgent and important? Is it important, but not urgent, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And that should help govern your days and your weeks. So we would also step into talking about owning your calendar and owning your time versus other people owning your time. And that's another thing that just kind of brings literally things into focus and gets you centered into what matters most right now in the moment.
1: That's awesome. Hey, so what are some ideas? So you were kind of going down that path, owning your time versus someone else on Like, What are some tips that you would recommend, Ralph, in your experience? To kind of start honing in and really kind of getting more focus on the things that matter. I love that because it's not just where you choose to spend your time, it's where you choose not to spend your time is just as important. What are some ideas, some tips that you can kind of give to the audience that might be effective from a lack of focus standpoint?
0: Yeah, sure. So, one of the best tools I've seen out there, it was uh, published a few years ago by a gentleman named Brendan Burchard. He created and published what's called the One Page Productivity Plan or Planner. And it's literally a one-page PDF that you could download from his website, but it really focuses on the three P's, projects, people, and priorities. And on that one pager, he helps you map out like what are the three most important projects for me to focus on right now or in this given window. The second, and I think the most important, comes down to people. And he breaks people into two categories. There are people that must hear from you today. And then there are people that you must hear from today. And you kind of don't move forward until you get some uh, correspondence going on with those important people. And then, thirdly, with respect to priorities, it's basically the main things that I have to do or focus on today, no matter what. And I think if you just put up barriers, I mean, pun intended, if you put up barriers of your own and limits, and you get really good at, I don't know, crafting an out-of-office message in email or managing expectations for those that work with you the most that, Hey, look, I check email twice a day at this time and this time. I will respond, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Just kind of communicate and put those signals out that you're pretty focused on what you need to do right now in the moment. And people will honor that for the most part.
1: I love that, Matt. I'm not as familiar, but I want to make sure we get... A link to that in the show notes. That that productivity guy, I think that's fantastic. I would say this is an area where I think I can always improve, and I think most people can always improve. Finding greater efficiencies, finding better ways of staying on task. Because what is the old saying? What only thirty-eight, some godly amount, like only thirty-eight percent of sales people's time is actually spent in sales-related activities. <laughs> like it, it's an unbelievably low number, which is almost it's shocking, right? It's because of all of the other minutia that you get bogged down with.
0: Breaks my heart.
1: One of the things that an old mentor taught me, it's really trivial and it's very slight, but it's helped me, is just blocking off times in the calendar, like dedicated prospecting, dedicated lunch hours, that those things that, hey, it's already in my calendar. I have dedicated meeting slots that you know people can select. Those, I have dedicated internal meetings. If you want to meet with me, it's only on Monday and Friday between this window of time and this window of time. Like I think doing some of those things, I think it goes right with what you were saying, Ralph. It's, it's all setting proper expectations. And I find myself doing it and then peeling back from it and trying to get back to it. But those are the basics, right, Ralph? If you just got to get your arms around.
0: Oh, big time. Yeah, you're 100% right. Uh, you've got to make prospecting to your point, Sam. You got to make it sacred. You've got to have those blinders on. And everyone needs to know, hey, between these hours of these days, I am prospecting. That's a critical uh, part of what I do every day because that pays the bills for me. So nobody messes with that. And you'll find, like I said, most of your colleagues and peers, they'll totally respect that time. But you know, unless you're putting it out there and letting people know, you're just going to get bombarded all day long.
1: Without a doubt. I used to have the same mentor say, hey, manage up. right? Manage expectations up or set that set expectation for your boss. And they'll, they'll respect it because obviously that's what you're supposed to be doing. That's what you're hired for. But as an individual contributor, own that piece. And it's not up to your boss to say, hey, this should be blocked off. Like own that piece from a self development standpoint, if you will. Big time.
0: I'm glad you brought that up. You know, I host office hours internally for my team. And some of my A players are so focused and so specific and so good at managing up that they have shared with me. Ralph look I love you appreciate the guidance and and the offer for your office hour I won't be attending many of them if any of them because it's right smack in the middle of when I'm doing my prospecting and I'm not going to mess with that I totally respect that and they have yet <laughs> to attend but at least I understand why
1: That's awesome man I think it's good for the younger people to hear that like you're good I mean like that's what a leader expects of their sales team is to own that own their time own what they're responsible for and really drive that to the goal line. I mean, I, I've never bucked back on a rep by saying, hey, that's dedicated time. Don't book that, Sam. And me say, no, I want to book it. I need to talk to you. But I think as a younger sales rep, you're almost like, well, I got to do what my boss tells me. And they may take that the wrong way. But I love hearing that there's a lot. Of, everybody I've ever talked to has always been that way. He's like, listen, as a sales leader, that's what I want to see my rep do.
0: Oh, without question. That's leadership by example. I mean, through and through.
1: Without a doubt. So, this one I think is pretty evident, but I want to talk through this because I think in today's environment, it's becoming a little bit difficult to understand some success criteria. And we'll talk through it. But inactivity, I want to get your thoughts. I want to understand when you say inactivity, kind of what your thoughts are around that.
0: Yeah, it's rampant in sales. It, it drives me crazy as a sales leader. Uh, people often say they're going to do things and they just don't. People are lame when it comes to following up and following through. I'm interviewing what I think are top notch candidates, and then I don't even get a thank you email. They just don't take the action to do things. Uh, Talking about activity level with my team is the last thing I want to talk about. If you ask why five times, you know, you finally get down to people just aren't doing the work. You know, they're not taking any action. It's, I call it, don't just do something, stand there. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It drives me crazy, but. You know, Sam, you talked about prospecting, and that's a really good example where people could be a lot more active just with their outbound work or even with their lead follow up. You know, with respect to outbound prospecting, I liken it to a fisherman. You can't take a boat out on the lake and just expect fish to jump in the boat. That's not how prospecting works. You got to go out on a certain time of day, you got to bait the line with the the right bait, you got to know what kind of fish you're likely going to catch when you drop the line etc cetera, etc cetera, it all translates to what we do in sales all the time i mean it's about planning your work and actually working your plan not just kind of hoping it all works out you're listening to the sales samurai podcast we'll be right back after this break sales samurai is excited to announce the launch of the largest database of b2b sales resources on the planet 600 plus resources with more added every single day search sort and filter leading software providers podcasts books blogs and so much more the best part it's absolutely
1: free to search go to sales to start your search it's funny you bring that up because, and I think this is where I was going with it earlier. I was saying success criteria has been a little bit skewed. I think this goes back to the technology thing. Sometimes I, I find that salespeople almost equate like, hey, I did 500 emails. I was productive today. I, I made 200 calls. Like, like, well, how many conversations did you have? How many meetings did you, like, it, what's the net result, right? I think, And then the other piece of that is, There is this, through this automation, I did send 500 emails, but I got no meetings. And there's this anticipation, if I build it, they will come. Like the fish will jump in the boat just because I sent out the perfect email. Sam's going to respond. Ralph is going to, that just doesn't happen. Like I can never remember anyone I've ever met cold on the very first email I cold called them that I literally got, I never remember the first email. I got an immediate response. Maybe it has happened. I don't know. But most times it's after I've called him twice. I've emailed him once. I've LinkedIn him twice. I've commented. I've reviewed his profile. Like it takes multiple, multiple steps in that. Like you said, working your plan and not just hoping for the best. I said a lot there. So I want to get your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah. Well, the reason you're not hearing back from them the first time is because guess what? (laughs) They're the ones actually working. (laughs) You know, they're not relying on automation to do their job for them. And I have a lot of respect for automated outreach. My team uses it. I even use it. Uh, But you can't measure and gauge your activity level to your point, Sam, on, you know, like an open rate. You know what I mean? So what if somebody opened your email? It doesn't matter at all, does not move the needle. But if somebody actually responds to your email and engages and books that meeting with you, now we're talking. That means there's something you really, putting in the right spot in terms of how you craft your messages. So yeah, really important. But I mean, I've noticed throughout life that every big disappointment in life is a result of just not putting in the work and doing enough activity.
1: Without a doubt. And I think there's another layer to that, Ralph, to that inactivity. and You've said this a couple of times. It's not even not just the activity, it's the plan. Because if you have a plan and activity is a part of it, you just follow through with the plan. I think you mentioned follow through as well. It's like, what is the plan? And having those conversations, both internally to self-critique yourself, hey, what is my plan with this account? But, and then also from a sales leadership standpoint, helping guide that. Sometimes it's not even a question of lack of follow-up. It's just a lack of a plan. Like, hey, what, what's the strategy here? What are we doing here? That's what I'm always kind of not dumbfounded. But I'm always like, that's what's missing. And I don't know if that's because of the technology or what that is, but that's just been my viewpoint, if you will.
0: Yeah. There are 3 acronyms that I'll leave the audience with. Uh, and hopefully this will help those of you listening who are struggling with framing up a plan to frame up a plan. a uh, One that's really going to be effective for you in your life. Uh, the first comes from Simon Sinek. He talks about a concept of a golden circle. And it's very similar to what a bullseye looks like on a dartboard. He always starts with why. Why are we doing this? Why Why do we exist? Why are we at work? Why is this the mission? Whatever it is, you have to start with the why, the purpose. Then you okay. go out one ring and you're talking about the how. Okay, we've identified the why. Now how are we going to put things in place to get this done? And then the last ring is what. So what is it that we're doing? What does it look like, etc. So that's a great model that might help. Second model is like you here in golf, PAR, P-A-R. What is the problem we are trying to solve? What are we trying to resolve? And what solutions are we thinking about applying to address this problem? That's the P. Then the A is obviously the action that's going to take place or the activities that are going to take place to inform solving that problem. And guess what happens when you do that? The R shows up and now you've got results. Now you've got outcomes. A third very similar acronym, I think, came from Tony Robbins. It's RPM, it's results, it's purpose, and it's massive action. So no matter how you slice it, no matter what models you look at or acronyms you want to toss around, it always comes down to taking action and doing what you say you're going to do. I
1: love that, man. I think that's... I've found that that piece, that inactivity or lack of plan or however you want to bucket, it, I think it all kind of falls into the same realm. That's the difference between an A player, B player, and a B player, C player. The level of what you're able to do that at, that's what distinguishes you. Uh, No conversation flow. This is actually one that I didn't even give a lot of thought to, but as I was kind of thinking through this for our conversation, I want to get your thoughts on it, but I have some very distinct... I want to understand that a little bit more when you say no conversation flow.
0: It's what we do every day, all day. We have conversations (laughs) with people. If you can't flow... You're screwed. (laughs) You're really, really, it's a steep climb for you. It reminds me of uh, a great quote from the rock band The Police. Man, with one breath, with one flow, you will know synchronicity. (laughs) And that's really what it's all about. You will establish conversation flow when you have a beginning, a middle, and an end in your mind, when you have a mental map of where you are in conversation. And in order to prompt conversations with people, you might rub elbows with the CEO of your company in an elevator and you've got 20 seconds to build rapport with her. And you better be game point. I'm, I'm sorry, you better be um, game tight for that type of situation. So you've got to always have in your mind a couple conversation starters, open-ended questions. Hey, hey, Sam, tell me about the time when... And what's been your experience with... And you, you use yes-no questions like, is this a good time? No, it's not a good time. Well, now you've got to figure out another question to ask. So use those yes-no questions sparingly. Consider yourself standing on a throw rug, and you're standing at the head of the rug, which is the beginning of the conversation. And you begin a conversation, you're standing on the rug, and you throw a pivot question so that you could step forward and go to the middle part of the conversation. A pivot question could be, Oh, interesting. So based on what we just talked about, then how would you approach considering 2022 and then embarking on the new year, how would you approach it with the business? Now you know you're in the middle of the conversation. Throw another pivot question to get to the end, which is, hmm, so all things considered, what's the best way to proceed here? Now you know you're in the end of the conversation. No matter how you slice that, you're going to have to be prepared as a salesperson at all times to establish conversation flow.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. It's funny, as, as you were talking through that yes, no, and Yeah, I always learned early on that I always like to regurgitate things back to people. Hey, so here's what I understood. Here's what I I hear that correctly. And it always feels like when I do that, there's always another layer that they give you just like, oh, well, it's actually this, this and this. But when I was thinking through that, it just helps keep along. And then maybe that's where the yes, no. Did I understand that? Yes, I did. Cool. Great. No. To your point, what's the pivot? Hey, what am I going from? Well, based on that, how does that affect this, this and this? Just curious. And you kind of move. You're right. I think the conversation flow from a couple different aspects is a challenge for most. I think everyone's heard elevator pitches, to your point, and you're talking about, hey, how do we kick off a conversation? But I've also thought to myself, you should have very unique conversations based off of, obviously, who you're trying to get your foot in the door with, right? Talking to someone at a senior level, a C level, is a much different conversation than talking to someone That's owning the day-to-day stuff, right, Ralph? And so even separating those conversations out is something you need to be thinking of. Yeah, I
0: think conversation is uh, part of what we do every single day. And it's just a critical, critical piece that's often overlooked. I don't think people rehearse or practice much conversation flow. And you never know when you're going to be rubbing elbows with a CEO in an elevator, for example. You might be at a networking event, whether it's in person or online when you're on, you've got to be game tight. And you've got to be able to have a conversation starter. You have to be able to ask open-ended questions that are going to prompt dialogue. You have to use those yes-no questions sparingly. I hear salespeople to this day, when they get somebody on the phone, they'll say, Hey, is this a good time? And if the prospect says no, I mean, they're screwed. They've got to come up with another question now to earn another nanosecond before that person hangs up on them. So I just think it's something that's often overlooked that shouldn't be.
1: I love it because you know we were talking offline about just different layers of question. You you, as you were mentioning, you know, pivot questions, how to pivot between the beginning, the middle, and the end, which I I actually believe is the one of the biggest challenges salespeople miss. Right, is how to do that and then actually confirm what I heard. It's always shocking that when I'm on the other side and I'm kind of laying out, they ask the right question, right? Hey, tell us a little bit about kind of what the challenges are. Help me understand the level of your sales team, all that. And then I give them to it. I give them the answer. And then you fast forward two or three minutes later and they've completely like, it's not what I said, like it's completely pivoted into something else because they were just hoping that, you know, they weren't even listening. It was just kind of a, a question to check off the box. Hey, I asked him, let's move forward. I've always made the rule, Ralph, anytime I hear something I always try to say, hey, listen, here's what I understood, just to make sure I heard you correctly. You said this, this, and this. Did I miss anything? Is there anything else that you would add to that? No, you hit the nail on the head. That just confirms for a couple of things that I'm not losing my mind. And B, it helps them understand I was actually listening to them. And that's always reassuring as a buyer. Is that What's your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, it's reassuring as a person too. You want to be heard. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh right. You're right. Oftentimes, you know, salespeople aren't present. They're not present to the conversation or to the person that they're talking to. So they're kind of half listening. They're being genuine. They're being sincere. They don't mean any harm. But because we're moving so quickly all the time, we tend to just not slow things down, calm things down, and get a very comprehensive understanding of what the conversation is about and what's actually needed from the prospect. Also, to your point, Sam, when you're Reiterating or recapping by saying, Hey, you know, I think I understand what you were saying when you talked about A, B, or C. That's a sign of respect and courtesy that you're a good communicator, you're an active listener. So that when you do come back with a question, it's a thoughtful question and it's also going to move that conversation forward versus just kind of bypassing it as if the prospect never answered you in the first place and you're on to your little checklist. So I think what works, especially with sales development reps who often have those very first conversations, again, talk about why you're calling them in the first place, what you're trying to get out of the prospect in this time, understanding how precious time is, and then ask your questions. And then recap what you heard them say so that you can move into the next piece of the conversation. Super important, not practiced very much.
1: right? And I love it because that recap actually allows for a pivot, right? That's that pivot question where a lot, hey, thanks for, un- it helps me understand that. With that in mind, there's almost a natural pivot. So it almost gives you the opportunity to understand, digest, and then move forward, which I, th- that's how I've always tried. I mean, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. Most people would understand that.
0: Same. I've always tried to envision myself standing on top of a throw rug with three sections to it, a beginning, middle, end. <laughs> And so when I ask a pivot question, I'm envisioning myself literally stepping forward to the middle of the rug and asking the next set of questions before I step to the end. And I'll often tell people, Hey, look, Sam, it's going to sound like I'm, uh, I'm ambushing you here with 15 different questions. Uh, let me tell you why I'm asking the questions in the first place, just so you have some color and context as to what I'm really trying to get at. And that really, really helps drive a dialogue when you preface it like that.
1: I love that, man. I, I used to use the term, Hey, I get ready for the interrogation or the rapid fire. I'm going to do my best to hold back. And it just, I, I think it tries to lower the barrier a little bit, but I love that piece of it.
0: One of the Sam, one other thing that I think is just a natural gift that you have is you got a great sense of humor, man. You don't mind smiling and cracking a little joke before you get the questions going. And I mean, who doesn't love that? I mean, that's going to in the right setting when you could bring humor into it, it's even better.
1: Yeah. I always go back to the phrase that our thought process that at the end of the day, just be human. To I mean, if you just have a human, co- like if it's just a human conversation, like if I felt like you were in terror, I would be the very first, I would say it like, hey, this is going to feel like it. Like I would just own the fact that hey, there, there's a checklist I'm trying to get like early on. I would actually own it. Hey, there's about four or five things I'm going to blister you with. But there's a rhyme and a reason. There's a method and a madness. I want to make the best use of our time. But once we get past that, I'm happy to... And try to navigate the waters a little bit, Ralph. Just own the piece that you might be even a little bit sketchier. Like, hey, I don't feel as comfortable, but own it to the prospect. Nine times out of 10, they're going to be human back to you and understand what you got to do.
0: Oh, without question. When you set the tone like that, you'll be super surprised at how cool and smooth that conversation goes.
1: Without a doubt. And the other piece of that I want to layer in here, and I think you would agree with this, is like, have those framing questions that are specific to the buyer. What I mean by that is asking what tool you use to a CMO is probably not the most effective use of their time. They're more strategic. Those questions should be much more strategy. Like I'm boiling it way down just for the purposes of our conversation. But what am I trying to get from someone that is using and is leveraging whatever solution that they're leveraging is more tactical, maybe I should say, versus someone that's much more strategic? I can't tell you the number of times that you may get 30, 40 minutes with the C level, and the questions that you ask, you're either going to make or break you in the very first minute or two. And their interpretation on how you are as a sales professional based on the questions you're asking.
0: A hundred percent. And, you know, I would suggest, for example, like you used a CMO, a chief marketing officer. Yeah. Shoot straight with them. Let them know look, I'm going to zoom out and I want to talk about strategy and I want to talk about vision with you as. We think about embarking on the next year or two, what's in store for the branding and imaging of the company, all the way to the key engines that are filling the top of your funnel. But then I also want to zoom in and I want to talk about the criteria of what warrants an MQL versus an SQL, what the conversion rates look like today, what are your highest producing sources to lowest producing sources? Are there SLAs involved between you and sales? and you in demand, Jen, and you in sales development, etc. So that they, without even saying it, that you're leading by example, just by talking their talk. But also, you're adding that color and context saying, Hey, look, let's zoom out and talk about strategy. Then we'll zoom in and we'll talk about tactics. It just shows that you know what you're talking about. And you really, really care about what's on their radar.
1: I love that piece. I love that piece of things. Zoom out, zoom in. I used to use the term macro, micro. But I love that component of things that, that at least gets them prepared that, hey, I'm going to ask some strategic questions, but I'm also going to ask them in the weed questions because there might be multiple people in the room, right? Depending on what the context of the environment is, but that at least helps them understand that you know where you're going and there's a rhyme and a method to the madness, just you know, kind of bear with you. There's going to be things that are going to be really relevant to them as a buyer. I love that piece of it. Uh, failure to keep improving. We talked about this early on a bit. I think we even talked about it offline. This is one that baffles my mind in the lack of improvement. Like in our, pro- I'm talking about our profession. Like either they say the company's got to provide it all, or I've heard so many different things. So I want to get your thoughts on failure to keep improving. And I'm talking about skill improvement. Like you say, asking better questions, the whole nine yards. Tell me a little bit about failure to keep improving.
0: Yeah, it comes down to... um, Gosh, of course, I'm racking my brain now as to who said this quote. It was either Thomas Edison or Thomas Jefferson. I don't remember which one. But the quote is, if we did things we are capable of, we would astound ourselves. And I just think, you know, as we talked about at the beginning of our conversation, as I step into... It's like my 28th or 29th year. I started in 94. So I think that's year 28 of my career. I feel like a beginner on so many levels there's so much that i still need to learn and uh, i really aim to master my craft while i'm in my professional life and look you know i'm from the san francisco bay area i grew up here the 49ers are are playing the nfc championships this weekend but i'll tell you right now they have yet to pay any of my bills so i can't get that fired up about the 49ers yet a lot of people when i go to work and we get on calls they d- they want to talk about sports they want to talk about A show that they're watching on Netflix. They want to talk about a bunch of stuff that doesn't really move things forward for our business or for them in their career. It's okay to like that stuff and to get into it, but you can't live it and breathe it all the time. With the amount of books that are out there that you can gut and highlight and scratch notes in and learn from and apply, I mean, you would be amazed at what content and materials out there. There's just not enough. Precious time to read it all. You've got podcasts like yours, Sam, you know, Sales Samurai podcast. We got the Sales Hacker podcast, One Up Formula podcast, and on and on and on. All the conversations that are happening, all the webinars that are in play. I mean, for God's sake, you got to always be learning and also contributing to the conversation. So if you're really good at something and you're keeping it close to the vest and not sharing it with us, shame on you. Because you represent all of us in this beloved profession of sales. And we've got to represent this profession well. There's way more good apples than bad apples. And if you can make a contribution to our conversation, what it is we're trying to do in the world, then we want to hear from you. We want to see your stuff. That's awesome. So that's what I mean by the failure to improve. I just think a lot of people don't care so much about that stuff. They want to make their paycheck and move on and not let anybody bother them. when like all of us, they possess gifts and strengths that are
1: unique to them, but they're just not sharing it with us. I love that. It's funny you mentioned that for the simple fact that there is so much at your fingertips. I mean, you're right. And there's so much free stuff at your fingertips. I mean, there's paid stuff, obviously. But I mean, there's just so much at your fingertips, whether it's a podcast. And I think the misnomer here is, like, is, don't go into it thinking think you're going to learn something revolutionary. Find one, two little nuggets that you could potentially implement like you said, highlight a couple passages from a book. Take 10, 15 minutes a day to read two or three pages. You don't have to go through a whole book in a week. That's not the expectation. But like, there's so much available. And what drives me mad, and I got to be honest, I was this person early on in my career. Well, my company didn't provide any training, or they didn't do enough, and I didn't get the cold calling until somebody came to me and said, you can do this on like, there's, well, have you done this? Have you done that? Have you done this? Have you read that book? I'm like, well, no, it's just, it was an enlightening experience. And it wasn't like revolutionary that, Hey, I'm going to go spend $20 on my own money to go read a book that might actually help me make thousands of dollars in my profession. Seems like a pretty good ROI for me. And that just amazes me when I talk to reps to this day, like how many books have you read? Well, I haven't had a chance. Well, how many podcasts you listen to? I don't have time. Well, what about webinars? Well, I, I like one, but I haven't gotten to it yet. Like, so, how are you improving?
0: Yeah, and I put money down; they're not making their quota. <laughs> <laughs> so you're right, Sam. You don't have to try to boil the ocean. You know, when you're reading a book, uh, sometimes it's just one little nugget of value. Where if you just ask yourself, you know, how good am I at this? You'll get your your wheels cranking in your head, and you'll start making some little little changes. But it's the little things that make the big things happen anyway. So you might as well start small.
1: I love that, man. I I can't tell you just going through some books, and I've been doing this now for a couple of decades. I feel the exact same way you do. Like, I I read a book and I'm like, I never thought of it that way. Like, that's a real good idea. Uh, Like, that's a great idea that this guy's coming up with. Like, I think there's one book I'm reading right now. They talk about a pile of words. Just start bucketing things into piles of words as you're coming up with the script. Let that be your guiding light. And then here's the framework. I never even thought about just get the words together and think through just a bunch of words and just like word clouds. Like that thought process to me was so unique. That I was like, you know, I never thought of it that way. Let me go down that path. And it was enlightening. And I took an extra 20, 30 minutes to do that. And I felt it, it helped me in some aspects. So I think you're right. I think I looked, I used to look at it. I think too many people look at it as, hey, I don't have the time to read a 500 page book that's probably going to regurgitate the same thing versus looking at it as, hey, can I get one or two nuggets that I can glean from this that might actually make me close one extra deal? That's the key. Like, It's not trying to be, I'm going to close 100% of my deals. is it? can it help me get one more deal across the goal line? Can it help me convert one more contact into a meeting? That's how you got to approach it.
0: That's right. And we both know, Sam, all the answers are out there.
1: Without a doubt. What's the old saying that there is nothing new being created. It's just building a better mousetrap, just making it better.
0: That's right. It's all been done and been said before for the most part.
1: That's fantastic, man. Well, hey, man, I love the conversation around this because I truly believe when we're talking about missing quotas, we always think there's hey, not enough territory. They always come up with these reasons why. But nine times, like you said, it, it's self-imposed. All of these are things that you can work on, you can develop on your own. These are not environmental or landscape issues that are pushing against you. These are things you can control.
0: Oh, no question. Oftentimes, when I hear people rattling off the excuses, they're not on the list of excuses for some reason. It's everything and everyone else. But I don't ever hear them start with, okay, starting with me, here's what I could be doing better. I never hear that.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. I always, it is always uh, things that are outside my control. That's what's keeping me away from it. Uh, Yeah. So, hey, final thoughts for the audience along these lines, just kind of things that you want to keep people to kind of keep top of mind, maybe that one or two nuggets that they didn't glean thus far that you might want to share with the audience as well, Ralph.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Hey, if you're listening to the two of us still, you've got two resources in Sam and me. Just again, if you start small, if you ping either Sam or me on LinkedIn, or you find us online, we'll get back to you. We'll help connect the dots for you. We may know somebody who has the answer if we don't have the answer. But we're here to help. It's why we do what we're doing and why we're publishing episodes like this one. If you want to follow me or learn more about me, it's ralphbarcy.com. I have a blog. Would love it if you subscribe or share with others. I'm constantly Uh, trying to better myself and putting out really relevant content that's useful and helpful for people. So get to know me and let me know when you um, connect on LinkedIn by adding a note instead of just uh, sending me an invitation request. Because oftentimes, I just don't know the color or context behind the request. I don't know where you found me. So just put a line or two in your request and I'll go ahead and accept and probably uh, connect with you at some point. But yeah, all the answers are out there if you're just looking for them.
1: That's awesome, man. Yeah, I appreciate it because, you know, Ralph, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, hey, obviously all the answers are out there. But I think people are a little bit like, I mean, LinkedIn was intended to be a networking site. Like it's intended to engage, right? And I think people forget that, hey, if you just reach out to someone, the worst thing that they could say is, no, I don't have the time or, hey, can we get back to this? But I've never, if someone's, hey, do you have a few minutes to connect? If I really have the you have a few minutes to chat. I'd love to pick your brain about X, Y, and Z. I'll make every concerted effort as I know you would to say, yeah, I'll, I have some time in, in next week. How about 15 minutes? Can we find some time to get it on the calendar? Or it might be something that you have on your blog that you can just share a link. Hey, why don't you take a look at this? See if this kind of answers it. And we can always d- dig in deeper you know, if you want to and find some time on the calendar. I love that piece of it.
0: Yeah, help us help you. Just be specific with your request, and we'll help you find the answer.
1: Awesome. Well, hey, Ralph, sincerely appreciate you taking the time. We're going to put all that information in the show notes, how to connect with Ralph, his blog, connect on LinkedIn, all that kind of good stuff and what he's doing over at Trey and go from there. Uh, Ralph, thanks again for your time.
0: Thank you, Sam. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Sales Samurai Podcast with your host, Sam Capra. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast and visit SalesSamurai.io and join the conversation, access show notes, and discover bonus content.